You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh, gracious God, we pray that you would sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth, and we thank you for the testimony of the water and the blood, and we pray that your spirit would impress those upon us that we may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the perfect substitution for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to the end of our series on 1 John, and here we are in chapter 5, and it's, it's a bit of a confusing passage, so I would uh, ask that you might want to follow along in your bulletin or on page 1023 in your pew Bibles. And John is wrapping up his letter, and he says to us, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's his point. That's what he's been trying to convey throughout the entirety of this letter. And he especially wants us to know that we can have Christian assurance from God that we belong to him that we can be assured of eternal life, that it's possible for believers to have the forgiveness of sins and the power to live the Christian life and also to enjoy the assurance of our salvation. And so he leaves us with three testimonies, the testimony of the water, the testimony of the blood, and the testimony of the Spirit. And testimonies are important. They give witness to that which is true, which can be believed, uh, and that also which is false, over and against uh, that which might mislead people about who Jesus is, uh, what he has uh, come to do, and what it means for us to live the Christian life. And it's not just the testimony of man that John is talking about, but God's testimony. And John goes so far as to say to reject God's testimony about Jesus is to reject Jesus himself. And so what John writes to us in his letter, and especially this morning, is not just important because it's God-given, but the consequences of not receiving that testimony have eternal consequences. And so... There are three testimonies, the water, the blood, and the spirit. And we're going to look at the first two uh, out of the gate, but then we will get to the testimony of the spirit. And I also want you to know that John is speaking into a situation that had arisen in the church, and quite frankly still exists today, as to false understandings about who Jesus is and what he came to do. So there was a notion in the church that was creeping in that one, uh, Jesus was born a mortal man. And then at his baptism, he was made the son of God. And he remained the son of God until he went to the cross, and then the spirit of the Christ was removed from him. So Jesus was born a man, became divine, but before he died, that spirit was taken from him, and so he died as a mere mortal man. Also within the life of the church, there was an overemphasis on 
uh, certain teachings that detracted from others. So there were those who said, no, absolutely, Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah who has come into the world. But you know, his death on the cross wasn't that important. And still others who may have said the death on the cross is really important, but it really doesn't matter how Jesus came into the world and who he really is. And so John wants us to know that there are three things that testify to the truth of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And the first is that he came by water. This is John telling us that his coming among us was in order to save us. This is his appearing among us to be our Savior, that the God of the universe condescended to take on flesh and to be born in Bethlehem in a feeding trough, that the very voice that cried up from that manger is the same voice that said, let there be light. God in the flesh, God of God, man of man, a remarkable thing. And John says, this is why it's important. You need to understand that as he comes by water, he comes to us as the living God. Now, what he's speaking to specifically is the water of baptism, at Jesus' baptism. And we remember that when Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven said, you are my well-beloved son with whom I am well-pleased the declaration of who Jesus Christ is. That's what it means that Jesus came by water. It testifies to who he is. But it also identifies the ministry that Jesus was to have. Isaiah talks about the one who would come, who would be the suffering servant. Now Jesus, of course, did not become the son of God at baptism. He was the Son of God. The voice from heaven did not say, you have now become my well-beloved Son. You are becoming my well-beloved Son, but you are my well-beloved Son with whom I am well-pleased. And so all of the majesty, power, and dominion was affirmed in the person of Jesus Christ at his baptism. And what happens immediately after Jesus is baptized? He's driven into the wilderness. And there, he has an interesting theological conversation with the devil himself, who begins to tempt Jesus. And how does he tempt Jesus? By preying on his sense of majesty and dominion. The devil says, see these stones? Turn them into bread. You can do that. See, this world, it can all be yours. Throw yourself from the pinnacle of the temple because the angels have care over you. The devil was saying, Jesus, you ought to live into this majesty and you ought to claim what is rightly yours. Don't embrace this way of suffering and shame that is to be yours in the cross. Because that's what the testimony of the blood is about. The testimony of Jesus' cross. He came by blood. And of course, John is making a distinction here. Yes, Jesus is divine. But he came with a purpose. You can't say that Jesus just came by water and he has all the power and majesty. You have to understand, too, what he came to do. 
Now, I have encountered this heresy any number of times in ministry where people will say, I'm very happy to say that Jesus is the Son of God. But you know, the cross really wasn't necessary. I mean, I really don't like to focus in on it. It it seems a bit gory and seems to be a bit overstated at times, especially in a place like the Advent. And quite frankly, it really doesn't matter how Jesus died. He could have died of pneumonia. But John says, no. The testimony of the water, but also the testimony of the blood. Jesus himself linked his baptism in Luke chapter 12 with his own death when he said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He's not talking about John the Baptist baptizing him. He's talking about the cross. The testimony of the blood is that which was shed at his crucifixion. And Jesus' deity did not part, depart from him at his death, but it was for this very purpose that he came into the world. Jesus prays in John chapter 12, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The cross is not something to be shunned, but it is the epitome of God's glory. When you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you look upon the cross in all of its beautiful agony, as heartbreaking as it is, you realize that this is exactly what opened up the key to heaven for you. This is what reconciled you to God. This was the satisfaction for the sins of the world. This is the very Paschal Lamb that was sacrificed for us. And so why is this so vital for John that we know who Jesus is in his divinity by coming by by water and that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? It's because John wants wants us to know that if Jesus was just like you and me, it would have been impossible for him to die for the sins of others. The cross would have been the result of political circumstance. A common criminal dying a common death on a hill outside of Jerusalem for his crimes. But with the testimony of the water and the testimony of the blood together, we behold the Lamb of God and say, surely this was the Son of God. But of course, the Son of God needed to be made man in order to be that Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He needed to be God in the flesh And that's what's being testified to by the water and the blood. And at the center of all of this is the cross of Jesus Christ. And there's really no dispute about that. We can't just have Jesus as a divine being. We have to have the cross too. John Stott makes this point in his introduction in his book, The Cross of Christ. And John Stott describes an incident 
when there was a big split between the, the Cambridge Intercollegiate Christian Union, which is now called the KICU, uh, and, and, and then the, also the student Christian movement, the SCM. And this is the account of that crucial issue. After an hour's talk, I asked Rollo, who was the president of the SCM, does the SCM put the atoning blood of Jesus Christ central? He hesitated and then said, well, we acknowledge it, but not necessarily central. Stott and others then said that this settled the matter for us in the kick you. We could never join something that did not maintain the atoning blood of Jesus Christ at its center, and we parted company. Because you see, this false teaching of trying to divide those two testimonies or to downplay one or both, it's not just a problem of departing from apostolic truth, but the Jesus that they preach cannot save you. It's a Jesus that has been robbed of his power, of his glory, of his ability to save you. And so Paul, uh, John says it's really important to get your understanding of Jesus right. Paul writes in Galatians, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let them be accursed. Now maybe we think, man, John and Paul and Andrew, y'all make a big deal out of stuff. I mean, is it really that important? Well, of course it is because there is eternity on the line. In a recent conversation I had with a bishop, they asked me, well, Andrew, isn't it better to believe just a part of the Bible than none of it at all? Now, I didn't speak my mind, but I thought immediately immediately to James chapter 2. Even the demons believe that Jesus is Lord and they shudder. Ever thought about that? I mean, that's what Jesus' temptation in the wilderness is all about. Uh, The devil is simply quoting Scripture to Jesus. But denying who Jesus is and what he came to do. We can't just take Jesus with all the glory and majesty without the cross, and we can't take the cross without Jesus' glory and majesty. And John has gone to great lengths to show us that love does not have to apologize for the truth, but it rejoices in it. Now, of course, we can understand and even believe that the testimonies of the water and the blood are true, but I think John is saying that the greatest testimony of all is that of the Spirit. And this testimony of the Spirit is what Jesus promises to his disciples in the upper room when he says to them that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I mean, that's the promise. When you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the very Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes and dwells within you and me. 
And the Spirit testifies in our hearts that when we hear the testimony of the water, when we hear the testimony of the blood, our heart rejoices and we say, praise God, it's true. And so the real question that John is asking us this morning is, do I have this testimony in my heart? Is the Spirit speaking to me and assuring me of the testimonies of the water and the blood? This is the problem that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, ran into in his own walk. John Wesley had all the knowledge of Christianity up in his head. He was a trained theologian at Oxford. He had even gone as a missionary to the penal colony of Georgia. And yet he knew that there was a disconnect. He wasn't really experiencing his own faith And the promise of Scripture is that if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, God will impress upon you these truths. You'll actually experience them. And that happened for John Wesley, and this is what he writes uh, in his own journal about his own experience. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where someone was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. This is the work of the Spirit persuading us that the testimony is true. Do you have the testimony? That's the great issue. Do you know the testimony of the water and the testimony of the blood, but above all, do you have the testimony of the Spirit of God? And you may be sitting there this morning and saying, Andrew, I've never had my heart warm that way. And I long for that. Where am I going to find that? How does this happen for me? You will find it as you read the pages of Scripture and you hear God's Word preached. As the Spirit takes the things that belong to Jesus Christ and shows them to you. How will you find the testimony of the Spirit? By listening to the testimony of the water and the blood so that when you hear who Jesus is and what he has done for you, like Wesley, you find your heart strangely warmed. You have Christ. You have the forgiveness of sins. You have the assurance of your salvation in him and you know that you have eternal life. I pray this morning that you know the testimony of the water, who Jesus Christ is as the son of the living God and the testimony of his blood which has been poured out for you for the remission of sins and that those truths are confirmed in your heart by God's spirit. Let us pray. Oh God, how sweet is the glorious doctrine of our salvation.
when based upon your word and wrought inwardly within the soul. We, we bless thee that thou wilt keep the sinner thou hast loved and hast engaged that he will not forsake thee, else I would never get to heaven. All the good things of life are less than nothing when compared with his love and with one glimpse of thy electing favor. All the treasures of a million words could not make me richer, happier, more contented for his unsearchable riches are mine. One moment of communion with him, one view of his grace is ineffable, inestimable. But, O oh God, I could not long after thy presence if I did not know the sweetness of it, and such I could not know except by thy spirit in my heart, nor love thee at all, unless thou didst elect me, call me, adopt me, save me. Oh God, we bless thee for this covenant of grace. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.